few announcements um, that Meg wanted me to share that we just forgot to give to Jacob in time. Um, he did mention the chapel retreat, so Meg will be helping uh, Brother Bob with uh, sign-ups. Um, and there is a sign-up sheet that Meg has with her today. Uh, we're also trying to figure out if there's enough interest in boating on Sunday afternoon of the chapel retreat at the lake there in Montrose. So when you sign up, you there's a place to indicate if you're interested in that. It would be after lunch on Sunday. Second of all, the shoebox, I think an email was sent out. It's going to be on Sunday, November 12th, after the meeting. So it's more than a month away, but uh, time to start planning for it. Um, you can see Meg if you have questions, if you want to pack your own. Uh, if you are contributing supplies and need a list, uh, Meg sent that in the email, or you can see her, and they can be brought in and left on the back table uh, between the restrooms downstairs and the fellowship room. Uh, again, that's November 12th after lunch here at the chapel. If you have any questions on any of that, just go talk to Meg and she'll get you sorted out. So this morning, our topic, as was announced, is the priesthood of believers. We'll be looking at this very important topic that all followers of Christ need to understand. It's not particularly complicated, but it is often overlooked. And before we really dive into what it means, the priesthood of believers, we first need to understand a little bit more about the priestly service from the place where it was first instituted and clearly described in the Old Testament. There are many passages we could turn to in the Old Testament to examine the role of priests and Levites, but for the sake of time, let's look at some verses together from Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3. Should be a little something for everybody today, so I encourage you to stick with me as we go through this topic. Numbers chapter 3, in verse 1. Now these are the records of the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These then are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. 
You shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. You shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep their priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn, the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, from man to beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And we trust, as was already prayed, that the Lord will bless the reading of his word and our study of it together this morning. So from this passage, I want to take note of three points. First of all, we see that the priesthood, which belongs to Aaron and his sons, and the service of the priesthood, which belongs to the Levites, constitutes a special responsibility. The Lord says in verse 12 that he has decided to take the Levites instead of, or in place of, the firstborn of all Israel. And I think this is something I didn't know until I started studying this topic. The firstborn, the Lord says in this passage, have always been his from the day that he sanctified or separated them to himself when he struck the firstborn of Egypt just before the children of Israel were freed from slavery. But now... He's going to make an exchange. He says, rather than taking the firstborn, he is choosing to take the Levites instead. They shall be mine, he says in verse 13. I am the Lord. If we jump down to verse 38 of Numbers chapter 3, we'll see the following. So jumping down to verse 38 of the same chapter. Now those who were to camp before the tabernacle eastward, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, are Moses and Aaron and his sons, performing the duties of the sanctuary for the obligation of the sons of Israel. But the layman coming near was to be put to death. All the numbered men of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered or counted at the command of the Lord by their families, every male from a month old and upward, were 22,000. Then the Lord said to Moses, Number every firstborn male of the sons of Israel from a month old and upward and make a list of their names. You shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the sons of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the sons of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded him, And all the firstborn males by the number of names from a month old and upward, for their numbered men were 22,273. So there's a lot of words in there, but there were 22,000 Levites, a month older and upward, and there were 22,273 among the children of Israel from all the other tribes, males a month older and upward. Pretty close number. The difference, if you're good at math, or you don't have to be that good, is 273. 
Then the Lord spoke, verse 44, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the sons of Israel and the cattle of the Levites, and the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. For the ransom of the 273 of the firstborn of the sons of Israel who are in excess beyond or more than the Levites, you shall take five shekels apiece per head. You shall take them in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary and give the money, the ransom of those who are in excess among them to Aaron and his sons. And so that was 1,365 shekels at the end of verse 50. And Moses gave the ransom money to Aaron and to his sons at the command of the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So God had sanctified or separated out the firstborn, but now he has decided to choose the Levites for the priestly ministry, and he's exchanging his choice of the Levites for his choice of the firstborn. But because there are some extra firstborn, he's making the people buy them back from him. That's basically what's happening. And they're paying five shekels apiece for each of the 273 extra firstborn that there were, more than the Levites. And that money was given to the priests, Moses and Aaron and the priests. 1,365 shekels. So again, this first point here is that this responsibility is extremely special in the eyes of the Lord God. He has decided to exercise his self-proclaimed right to all the firstborn of Israel in order to select the Levites for this task of priestly service. Even those firstborn who were in excess to the number of the Levites needed to be redeemed at a cost. Now, secondly, second point I want to make, we see that this service was not optional. It was a duty. Verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3 that we read made this, hopefully, abundantly clear to us. It said, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting. Speaking of the priestly duties related to the offerings and the sacrifices and everything having to do with the tabernacle, to do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, along with the duties of the sons of Israel, to do the service of the tabernacle. You shall thus give to Le- give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. It was not optional. It was a duty. And thirdly, lastly, we see that this special responsibility and duty was not for everyone. Verse 10 tells us, So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep their priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. So if somebody who's not supposed to be operating in this capacity, serving in this capacity, because they're not from the right tribe, that's what it means when it says the layman who comes near and attempts to do this work shall be put to death. And you may remember, if you've studied the Bible, 
the story of when Saul offered the sacrifice because he wasn't willing to wait for the Lord's prophet, Samuel, who was supposed to do it. And that was one of the times that the Lord said that he had taken, he would take the kingdom away from Saul because of that act of disobedience. Even though he was king, he was not permitted to offer that sacrifice. So these three points, it was a special responsibility, it was not optional, and it's not, it was not for everyone. The duties of the priests and the offering of sacrifices on behalf of the people and all those things are described for us elsewhere in the scriptures and the duties of the Levites as well. If you're interested, even some of those begin in Numbers chapter 4. But I wanted to look specifically at these three points rather than all the things that the Levites and the priests get into. Now I would like us to consider again this topic of the priesthood of believers. Now you might be asking, if the description of the priesthood in the Old Testament is so clear, how can you say, or how can I say so boldly that we as Christians, those of us here anyway that are followers of Christ, believers in Christ, born again, how can we say that we are priests if it's such an exacting, um, specific chosen duty given to only certain people. How can we say that so boldly? You might also be saying to yourself, I thought Christ, Jesus himself, was the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek and superior to the Levitical priesthood or the priests of the Levites that we just read about. Well, you'd be right to an extent. And perhaps nowhere is this more clear than in the book of Hebrews. So let's take a few verses from Hebrews and specifically from chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews, more than any other book in the New Testament, speaks very clearly and plainly about the old priestly ministry, the one we just read about in the Old Testament, and the new priestly ministry instituted under the Lord Jesus Christ our great high priest. And I needn't say more about it because the verses I'm about to read are very clear. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness and because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins As for the people, but so also for himself. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So those first four verses, again, giving us the example of the earthly priestly ministry. Verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he also says in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So clearly, we can see that yes, Jesus Christ is a high priest forever, our great high priest. And this is according to the will and determination of God himself, who spoke concerning his son. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. But let's look for a moment at some verses which, by God's grace and glory, were even read to us this morning in the Lord's Supper. We'll start in Revelation chapter 1, and then we'll look... Also at chapter 5, which was read for us. Last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever Amen. And so we see here in this passage, and specifically in verse 6, He has made us to be a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. Who's us? Those that have been released from our sins by His blood. So if you're here this morning, and you know what it means to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. You know what it means to have acknowledged and recognized your need, which means you recognize and acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have fallen far short of God's expectations, that you are completely opposed to God and to His ways and to His perfection and to His standard, and have decided to accept the gift that God is offering in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom He sent to die on the cross for your sins. If you have accepted that, if you've trusted that, if you've taken that and applied it to your own life, then you are released from your sins because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this verse is speaking about you. You are a priest to God the Father. And just to bring this point home, let's look at another similar passage, like I said, a few chapters over in Revelation chapter 5, 
where John records for us the words of the 24 elders and the four living creatures who are ministering before the throne of God in this great revelation that John received. Revelation 5 and verse 6, and this is John speaking in the vision that he's seeing, and it says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he that is the Lamb, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that is God the Father. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying... Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men and women, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. You have purchased them for God with your blood. Here in these passages, we see plainly and clearly that we, those of us in this room who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and saved by his blood, have been made priests of God. Note the similarities that we see in this passage to Numbers chapter 3, where God makes it clear that the Levites are his. How many times did I read that when I read, in num- when I read Numbers 3? They are mine, he said. In this passage, we see that we have been purchased for God. Purchased for God. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, we would read again a similar verse that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. What was that price? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Purchased for God with your blood. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Just like those firstborn needed to be redeemed with those shekels of silver, we have been purchased with something infinitely more costly. The shed blood of God's only Son. The only one who, as we remembered this morning, had no sin of his own, but bore our sins when he went to the cross. We have been made priests by his finished work. Now we'll talk a little bit about what that means. What does that mean for us? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4. 1 Peter 2. Verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, 
and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. So again, it's not for everyone. Being a priest to God, it's not for everyone. It's to those who believe. Verse 7, this precious value then is for those of you who believe. It's for all who believe, but not for those who don't believe. The end of verse 7, for those who disbelieve, this cornerstone, verse 8, has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. People are offended by the Lord Jesus Christ in this world today. They're offended because he wants them. He wants you. He wants to own your life. He wants to decide what you do and what you don't do. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to please him. He wants you to keep yourself separate from the world. He wants you to obey his word and do things the way he intended for them to be done, not the way the world wants to do everything today. Anything goes, whatever you like, whatever you choose, whatever you think. I can be this, I can be that. I'm not going to go into it. I think you all know and have seen the things that are happening. People are offended by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ at work, people will be offended. You might get fired. (laughs) You might get called in and spoken to. If you talk about the Lord with your friends, they might not be your friends anymore. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who don't believe. Let's keep reading in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you, those who believe again, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those who believe are no different from those who don't believe, except for they have been rescued from the doom of their sin. Those who believe were wicked, unfaithful sinners, just like those who don't believe. I'm no better than anybody else. But that's why I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, because I recognized my sinfulness. I recognized my need of a Savior. I recognized that I was drowning in a world of sin, and I couldn't swim. And so I reached out to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God had sent to be the sacrifice for sin. And I accepted that. And now, I, along with others like me, It says that we are a royal priesthood. Why? We read two whys in this passage. One of them was at the end of verse 5. You're being built up 
as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The other one, at the end of verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We spoke about that. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we see that those of us who are saved by Christ's blood, who have trusted in Christ for salvation, which could be everybody in here if everybody would make that choice, even today, we have a special responsibility. It's not optional. It's our duty, and it's for us who believe. It's not for everyone, but for those of us who are in Christ, purchased by his blood, bought with that infinite price of his blood. So what should we do? As we just pointed out from this passage, two things. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, and to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Romans 12.1 tells us more about this concept of spiritual sacrifices. It says there, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, or in view of what God has done for you in showing you mercy through sending his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What does God want? All of us wants every part of us. He wants us. He wants us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual service of worship. And the other verse I want to look at, perhaps one of the most important verses of the day today for those that are here that are believers, is in Hebrews chapter 13. I want to speak about this notion of proclaiming the excellencies of him. Hebrews 13 tells us more about this concept. Hebrews 13 and verse 15, it says, Through him then, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Let us continually, I think I left out the word continually, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. It also says in verse 16, and this goes back to this concept of offering our bodies a living sacrifice, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So as priestly believers, we ought to offer ourselves wholly to God as a living sacrifice for his service and use, but there's more than that. We also ought to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, and it tells you what that is. What is that sacrifice of praise? It is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So maybe you're thinking, when should we do this? Well, it says continually. So I would suggest whenever we're reminded of what Christ has done for us 
unworthy and wicked sinners, we should at that moment, even if it's a silent prayer, offer up thanks to him. But there is one time when we're specifically told to proclaim things about the Lord, when we come together as believers to remember him at the Lord's Supper. This morning, this meeting started at 11 o'clock, but a group of us met earlier at 9.15 to remember the Lord Jesus Christ as we do every week here at a meeting that we call the Breaking of Bread or the Lord's Supper. It's spoken of in 1 Corinthians 11, where it says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now you might be wondering, how come I didn't know about that meeting? Well, that meeting is here for anybody who wants to come that is a believer. Remember, we talked about being a priest. It's not for everyone. It's for those who believe. It's for those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. It's very simple. It's very easy to do. But you can't remember somebody that you don't know. Now, I'd like to make a few points about the Lord's Supper in closing and hopefully to stir us all up, including myself, about our responsibility. And I'll just say... As an item of of praise and rejoicing, this morning was was a wonderful time. I think I heard from almost everybody, if not everybody, that was here this morning among the men, and I trust that the women were also worshiping and praying in silence as well. We have seen that offering up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to him, is a responsibility a duty of our service as priests to God. We have also seen that this responsibility is a special privilege. It's not optional, and it's not for everyone. It's for those to whom it was specifically assigned. And now, in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we have been studying this morning, we can see that it was assigned to us who believe in him. So what follows from that is quite simple and clear. Do you think that the Levites and the priests only served in the tabernacle on days when they felt like it? When they felt particularly moved by the Spirit? Did they only offer up sacrifices when it seemed like they were in the right mood? No. They had clear and specific instructions. In Hebrews, we read those verses that they stood daily ministering and offering time after time those sacrifices. Let's look at a passage together in Luke chapter 17. Just in closing here. Luke chapter 17. Here in Luke 17, we're going to read about 10 individuals who had the disease of leprosy. Leprosy 
was a debilitating disease in which the nerves in your body, especially at the periphery, at your fingers and your toes and your extremities, would stop working and the, and the flesh would start to die and decay and fall off. It was a horrible disease, debilitating disease, and it was also, at the time, very contagious. And so lepers were outcasts from society. Leprosy is a picture of sin. All throughout the Old Testament, it's been a picture of sin, which is also a debilitating disease that slowly kills people away. And it's so contagious, everybody's got it. Everybody's born with it. Everybody's born in sin. Luke 17 and verse 11. While he, that is the Lord Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance, they had to stand at a distance, met him, and they raised their voices, so he could hear them from a distance, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. He healed them just in that moment. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. When we come together on a Sunday morning, each saved person should be giving thanks to the Lord Jesus and remembering what he has done for us in going to the cross. This is remembering his death until he comes. The women worship in silence, but make no mistake, the Lord hears it. Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria that he is seeking true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Without the prayerful, silent worship of the women, our meeting would be empty. And men, our responsibility, our duty, is to worship audibly, not just when we feel like it, but all the time. Think of those words we just read that the Lord spoke was no one found who returned to give glory to God. What did the man do? It says, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. It wasn't rocket science what he said. He was thankful that he had been healed. He was thanking Jesus for what he had done. Brothers and sisters, certainly we should endeavor to be prepared when we come to the Lord's Supper, having our baskets full as many have well taught. But if you're not prepared adequately one Sunday morning or you don't feel like you are, can you not offer a simple prayer of thanks? How much preparation do you need for that? Why do we think that our words need to be profound? some of the most profound and moving sacrifices that we hear on a Sunday morning have come from men who can barely get to their feet and choke out a heartfelt thank you, Lord. 
in fresh recognition of how wonderful Jesus' death for them on the cross really is. Our meetings here in Allentown are not silent. Praise the Lord for that. It is a joy to hear many sharing thoughts and simply proclaiming the excellencies of our Savior and thanking Him. And even recently, many of the young men standing up and simply thanking the Lord. But I would propose this. All who are believers should participate and participate regularly. Few and far between, or even, I should say, never should be the Sunday when you or I as a priest of God do not offer up the simple sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. Nothing could be simpler, and our Lord deserves it. You'll recall what he said in Luke 19 and verse 40. He said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones themselves will cry out. We read from Philippians 2 more than once this morning. And one day, as we saw there, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But now, in this time that we live in, there are few that know him. There are few that recognize him and very few that revere him, that worship him, that follow him. It is our privilege, but also our duty and our responsibility to worship him. Let us not hold back that which is rightfully his. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let us not be intimidated. Let us simply thank him. Truly, he is worthy of that. One of the hymns we sang this morning said that every tongue shall soon confess Jesus, the Lord of all to be. But, oh, thy grace has taught us now before that Lord the knee to bow. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we who have trusted in him for salvation can be awed and humbled this morning to consider that you have made us priests, this very special selective position of those that are charged with worship. It's not just about our service, Lord. You desire our worship. You desire us to proclaim the excellencies of your Son. And Father, here at this meeting, once a week, we have the opportunity to come together and do that as a group. And certainly, Lord, we all have opportunity to offer ourselves up as a sacrifice each day and each moment of our lives and to also proclaim his excellencies by how we live and how we act in this world. And we pray for strength and help, Lord, to do that. But we pray that you would stir us up to not hold back from worshiping our Lord and Savior now, during this time, when so few know who he really is and recognize him for who he is. We have the privilege of recognizing him and worshiping him 
now. And Father, we pray that you would stir us up. Lord, we pray for any that are here this morning that have heard repeated several times now this message of salvation, that you sent your only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to bear the sins of the world, so that each one that would believe in him, that would trust in him for salvation, would be saved. It requires action on their parts, Lord, and we pray that you would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, because judgment is coming. Father, we pray that if there are any here today, they would not even go out from this place without first trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and escaping that judgment for sin that will come one day soon. Father, we thank you for the food that's downstairs and pray you would bless the use of it to us. Thank you for the hands that prepared it and bless our time of fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.